Well, good morning. My name is Monty. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and if you are a guest, I want to welcome you. All of us are uh, coming in here this morning, and we're getting near the end of a series that we've been working through called Deep Roots. And the big idea that we have been considering is is that of making room for the mission of God. We're doing that as a church, but we're also really asking God to help us as individuals make room in our personal lives for the mission of God. So for the last four weeks, we, we kind of made our way through a series of topics to, to help us with that. We started with a vision around being rooted and built up in Christ. Then we talked about prayer Then we moved into uh, leaving a legacy, and then last week we talked about generosity. This morning, we're going to finish up this five-week series talking about the one thing that is really the essential ingredient for all of that. If any of us are going to make room for the mission of God in our personal lives, we're going to have to have what we talk about today, and that is the subject of faith. And what better chapter to look at than the one we just heard, Hebrews 11, um, perhaps the the most exhaustive statement in our Bible about faith. And here's what we're going to do. There is a lot there. We could do weeks and weeks of a series through uh, the chapter uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews. We're not going to do that. We're going to do a little bit of a survey this morning. But What we're going to try and do is glean from this chapter, and more specifically, the people that are included in this chapter, glean from their lives what real faith looks like. Just so that there's no misunderstanding here, because if I was able to sit down with every person in this room and just say, hey, tell me what faith is, there's no no idea what I might hear. It, It could be all over the map. We all have ideas about what it is and what it isn't. So we're going to try and get some clarity around that this morning. Now, as we always do, we don't teach a passage of, from the scriptures without thinking about its context. So real quickly, the book of Hebrews, it's an unknown author, so we're not sure who wrote it. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas, some say there's just no idea. It was written to a group of primarily Jewish Christians. So in in other words, that would have been Jews who held to Judaism, Old Testament law, and they heard the gospel and they entrusted their life to Christ as their Messiah. This letter is written to them during a time of rising persecution from Rome. So there's a lot of pressure from the state that is... uh, kind of leading them, but also there's a lot of pressure from a group of people called Judaizers. Those would have been the religious leaders who rejected Jesus as Messiah. So they're getting pressure from both sides, and uh, they're being tempted to reject the gospel and return to Judaism. That's this audience that the writer of Hebrews is uh, communicating with. He uh, shared with them two things as an encouragement. He talked about the superiority of Christ over every other person that ever came before him. All of the fathers of the faith, all of the prophets, all of the priests, anybody that came before Jesus, the writer of Hebrews wanted to say, 
Jesus is preeminent to them all. He is superior. And not only that, he ushered in a superior new covenant. So the old covenant is set aside. A new covenant is put in its place. That covenant was established by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the message that this writer is trying to communicate. He includes in this letter five very sobering warnings. If you've ever studied this book, there's a couple of places that you just got a big gulp. It's just kind of like, wow, that sounds really heavy. That sounds really hard or harsh. But you've got to understand in the context of persecution where you have people who are ready to abandon their faith, what is the writer of Hebrews going to tell them? Just stick it out. Just reach down deep inside. No, he's going to say, listen, if you want the life that God promised you in the gospel, if you want that kind of life, you're going to have to stand firm. You're going to have to hold fast. You're going to have to live by faith. And that brings us to chapter 11. He's saying this is how you face all of those difficulties, all of those obstacles, all of the challenge of walking with Christ. The word faith appears 24 times in this chapter. So it's there a lot and then there are other words that are synonyms that are included as well. That that phrase, by faith, that we said again and again, that appears 19 times in this chapter. So faith is without a doubt the centerpiece of what this author is trying to get to. So <clears throat> let's start. Before we look at what the writer of Hebrews says, let's just think about this concept of faith, what it is. First of all, we might just think of it very generally as um, common trust. If I say I have faith in something, that just means I trust in that, and that could literally be anything, anyone. Some call faith a psychological crutch, which compensates for emotional or intellectual weakness. Sometimes faith is talked about in that way, that if you have faith, that that's a, a kind of a window into the weakness of your life. Some define faith as an irrational or illogical belief. And that might look like belief without evidence. It might look like belief against the evidence, some might say. Uh, some might say it's belief without certain proof. That's another way that faith, generally speaking, in our world is described. Lastly, faith generally includes life-altering conclusions about existential questions. I know those are big words, but really that party that FSM just had, those things that they were talking about in there, like, does God exist? How did we get here? Why are we like we are? Why is there sin in the world? Why is there evil? Why do good things happen or bad things happen to good people? Those big questions, faith is associated with our conclusions, our answers to those questions. Obviously, there are religious uh, implications for that. We can have a lot of conversations. Humanity has sought to answer those questions from a place of faith, regardless of the belief, as long as we have been thinking. 
So with that as a backdrop, that's the big, big picture of faith in general. Let's see what the writer of Hebrews says about faith. Verse one, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, if you're like me, I read that and I just go, I'm not really sure how helpful that was. I, you know, I just wish it said more. And maybe the rest of the chapter is intended to help us understand what that, is, that assurance or that conviction might be. Let me offer some, some various thoughts that will help us fill out our definition of faith. First of all, biblical faith is confidence and trust placed in the heart, wisdom, power, and promises of God as revealed in Scripture. Now, that's a mouthful, but there's something to the object of our faith that really defines what it is and what it isn't. Pastor Alistair Begg says this, True faith takes its character and its quality from its object. It just sounds better with his accent, you know? J. Hudson Taylor says, not a great faith we need, but faith in a great God. So the object of our faith really defines what it is and what it isn't. Faith or belief is reliance upon the gracious activity of God's redemptive plan. This includes all phases of salvation. So if we think about the The past, I I was sinful and separated from God, so my faith delivers me from the consequences of that sin. It also delivers me from the power of sin right now, in the present. Now, I might still and will sin, but I am no longer under its power if I have placed my faith in Christ. Finally, it uh, frees me, it delivers me from the presence of sin in my future. And that's a huge part of what we're going to look at today. Um, One of the ways I stated my understanding of faith is this, very simply. Faith is the mark of a secure future on an uncertain present. Faith is the mark of a secure future on an uncertain present. Now, the thing that I I really want you to catch today is that faith leaves a mark. It's not just some kind of ambiguous, uh, imaginary kind of thing. It's like, if you have faith, I'll see it. If I have faith, biblical faith, you're going to see it. It's going to leave a mark. It's going to define how I live. Um, Greg Kokel says this, Biblical faith isn't wishing, it's confidence. It's not denying reality, but discovering reality. It's a sense of certainty grounded in the evidence that Christianity is true. Not just true for me, that's how a lot of people talk about it. You know, your truth is yours and mine is mine. It's not that kind of truth, but actually fully and completely true. God does not want your leap of faith. He wants your step of trust. I like that. 
Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, have faith, trust that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. We're starting to get some clarity, aren't we, about what faith is and what it's not. Um, the writer of Hebrews, prior to chapter 11, so remember he's given these warnings, he has begun to address this temptation to abandon the gospel, and he says this in verse, uh, 10, or chapter 10, verse 38, the righteous shall live by his faith. The writer of Hebrews is quoting Habakkuk 2.4. This also shows up in the book of Galatians. The righteous shall live by his faith. Some translations will also alter that somewhat and say the righteous by his faith shall live. Those two don't you know, rival one another. Both of them are certainly true, but it does give us this idea that if a person is going to live life as God intended, it's going to have to be by faith. So, Hebrews 11 then is the author's way of illustrating what that life is like. Real life by faith. So there's five things that um, I think we can glean from this chapter. Certainly there are more, but let's, uh, let's go after these five. First of all, faith sees. Faith sees. Throughout this chapter, uh, a reference to sight is mentioned. I think I would expand this to say faith sees what God shows. So it's not just seeing anything. It's seeing what God shows. One who lives according to biblical faith is spiritually attentive and perceptive. Here's a couple of examples. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God, God showing, concerning events as yet unseen... In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He acted upon what God showed him. Verse 10, by faith, Abraham obeyed. And then a little further down, why? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That, that city didn't exist, but God showed him that it would indeed one day be a real thing. Verse 13, these all died in faith. There's a whole list of folks. And it says they did not receive the things promised. They had a promise of some kind. They lived according to their faith in that promise. So what was it? Having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So there was something about this future that was put together by God that wasn't evident right then and there in the midst of their circumstances. But they had received a promise from God, primarily through the person of Abraham, that there would be a day when God's kingdom would fill all of the universe. That was a promise that they were holding on to. That was what God has shown them. So the only way to see what is unseen 
is to receive what God has revealed in his word. It really amazes me how often people talk about what God wants, what God thinks, uh, what God is doing and all that kind of stuff and there's just no Bible in there. It's just kind of stuff that seems to make sense. It's rational. But when you look at the people of chapter 11, most of it is very irrational. It doesn't make sense. Why would you subject yourself to the hardship and the suffering, the atrocities that those people faced? Unless God said it. That's why you would. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison as we look, as we see, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen the things that God has shown us in his word. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Mark Buchanan in his book, Things Unseen, describes it this way. Heavenly mindedness is sanity, even though it looks to the world like utter insanity. It is the best regimen for keeping our hearts whole, our minds clear. It allows us to enjoy earth's pleasures without debauchery. It allows us to endure life's agonies without despair. It allows us to see things from the widest possible perspective and in the truest possible proportions. If anything can give us a true scale of values, one that enables us to sort out the disposable from the precious, the trinkets from the treasures, the surface from the substance, heavenly mindedness can. Can you show me heaven? I should say it this way. Can you show me heaven apart from this book? God has shown us what it will be in a very limited way, but in a very real way. And are you living for that or are you living for this? 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Paul says, We are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To walk by faith and not by sight is to walk according to what God has shown us in his word. If you say you have faith, it must be informed by what God has said, not just by what you think, not even by what you say you want. It must be informed by Scripture. So first of all, faith sees. Secondly, faith waits. Faith waits. Now think about waiting. <laughs> we despise waiting, don't we? Like uh, sitting in the doctor's office. The DMV, I saw a post this week. Somebody was just celebrating how quickly they got through the DMV. I'm like, yay. Um, I get it though. 
right? We hate waiting at a light when we're driving around town. We hate waiting on drive through as fast as that might be. It exposes a vulnerability in us, doesn't it? it? Waiting reminds us that we're not in control, that we're subject to something else. And it's agitating, isn't it? Doesn't it make you want to just step up and do something about it? Like just move things along. It's like if I were in charge, there'd be no waiting. Somebody would actually be waiting on you. Waiting by faith on the Lord is a refusal to take matters into our own hands. So we're not just talking about waiting as it relates to time. We're talking about orienting our lives in a responsive posture. Faith does that. Waiting, biblically understood, is an orientation of readiness. Think about a soldier awaiting their orders. There is an availability. There's an eagerness. It's just like, yes, sir. (laughs) That's what it is. And it's the assumption that the leader knows what we're supposed to be doing here. So my answer is yes. That's what faith does with God. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I, I, who knows how many times I've quoted this over the years, but I'm going to say it again. This, this is the heart of waiting. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. That is biblical waiting by faith. It's just saying, Lord, I don't know where to go. I mean, I have thoughts about it. I have ideas, but yours must be better than mine. So I'm going to wait. It's not passive. It's ready. And as soon as the Lord gives direction, there I go. He has my yes. Faith-filled waiting is a patient confidence that God's plan Provision and timing are always best, even when we don't understand. Now, back to the chapter 11. Think about this. Imagine Noah waiting for rain. I wonder what that was like. Imagine Abraham and Sarah waiting for a son on Abraham's 100th birthday. Imagine Joseph waiting for justice in Potiphar's prison because of a false accusation. I wonder what that was like. Imagine Moses wandering in the wilderness 40 years waiting to get in the promised land. See, faith allows us to do stuff like that. Not because it's just a great idea. Not because it's convenient. Not because it even makes sense. It's simply because God said it. I can't imagine any of them waiting well without rehearsing the truth about God to themselves over and over and over again. Let me give you a 
a great word for that. Psalm 18, 1 and 2. Just listen to these words and imagine yourself in the crucible of waiting. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. That's to be said and believed and acted upon even in the worst of circumstances. Because that's what's true about God regardless of what my world might tell me. And so I wait. Not passive, active, ready, with a yes on my tongue. Eager to do and be and go whatever God pleases. Faith sees what God shows and faith waits for his instructions. And then when they come, faith follows. Faith follows. Now, Track with me here. If the righteous live by faith, that was in Hebrews 10, and if faith is the mark of a secure future on an uncertain present, then wouldn't we expect to see evidence of faith in the life of a person who professes to have it? If the answer is yes, then what kind of evidence should we expect? Now, we can get into some real murky waters here. This is where legalism thrives. But that's not what we're talking about. We're just saying, if I have faith, then, then I, you would expect to see it some way, somehow. It would define my life and how I live, my values, my priorities, all of what I do. And it's interesting, throughout the hall of faith, here in chapter 11... We see men and women whose lives were defined and directed by what they believed. Like they didn't do any of this just because they thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool for this day or this month or this decade. They were defined and directed by a faith in unseen things. And when they heard from God... They obeyed. I think the writer of Hebrews would say the clearest evidence of biblical faith is biblical obedience. Faith follows. Now the most prominent example in chapter 11 and really in all of our Bible as we look back to the Old Testament is Abraham. And he's mentioned a few times in here, but I'll just mention uh, two instances. Hebrews 11.8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, there's the promise, and he went out, get this, not knowing where he was going. Now that just sounds stupid. I mean, truly, think about it. From our perspective, worldly values, who in the world picks up from all that is familiar, all that is comfortable, all that can be managed, all that is prospering, just pack it all up and go to a place. And by the way, I'm not really sure where it is. 
I guess I'm just going to keep walking until God says stop. It just sounds insane unless God really spoke. And then it makes all the sense in the world. Where else would you rather be than where God told you to go? Hebrews 11, 17 and 18. By faith, Abraham, man, if that was crazy, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, though Isaac, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. I mean, truly, guys, that is just hard to get my head around. Standing over your son with a knife, ready to take his life. Why? Because God said so. Now, we know from here that that wasn't all that God said. God had proven himself over and over again. I made a promise to you. It's a son and a lineage. And this is that son. So Abraham's faith was, I don't see how I'm going to get to the other side of these circumstances, but I know God will get me there because he promised. That's all he had to go on. So what promises are you living by? How are you going to get to the other side of this life? Tomorrow, next week, Next year, when you're laying on your deathbed, how, what promises are going to get you there faithfully? The Apostle James used Abraham to illustrate the principle, faith without works is dead. And I know there's a lot of debate and confusion and all that around Paul and James and I'm just going to say this, and we can have a conversation later if you want to. They're not in conflict at all. They're just expressing different ways of understanding the dynamic between faith and works. Faith that is merely intellectual or faith that claims to believe but is absent of any action is no better than the faith of demons, James says. They believe in the existence of God. They believed that Jesus was um, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But we would never say that they had saving faith, would we? So there's something about what that faith produces that shows evidence of it being rightly placed. Obedience does not improve upon one's faith it simply proves that one actually has faith. That's what it does. Faith alone saves. You may have heard this phrase before. But faith that saves is never alone. So, you know, even when we talk about living obediently as the people of God, we're not saying do that so that you can somehow obligate God to be good to you. No, we would say, obey because God has been so good to you. It's a response. It's a joyful response. 
Okay, so faith sees, faith waits, faith follows, and then faith endures. And this is where it gets really hard. Unfortunately, faith has been made out to be um, some kind of way of buying a good, easy life from God. Like if you just have the right kind of faith or the right amount of faith, man, you can have the good life. Having faith, especially as we read through this chapter, is no assurance of an easy life. It's no assurance of a prosperous life. It's no assurance of a pain-free life. There is more suffering in chapter 11 than there is anywhere else. And these are people of the hall of faith. They're our models. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, All who desire to live a godly life, and can we agree that a godly life is a life full of faith? So all who would desire to live that kind of life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now that that can look a lot of different ways over the decades and millennia of history. But that is most definitely true. And this is a good time to remember the context of Hebrews. Remember, he's writing to a people who are being persecuted by Rome and by Judaizers. And they are being tempted to abandon their faith, looking for an easier life. And I get that. Who among us just volunteers for suffering? Yeah, I'd like some of that. No, we... We order our whole lives to avoid that at all costs. And I would say, you know, in addition to that, we also order our lives in such a way that faith isn't necessarily required. Like if I can manage my life just fine, who needs faith? What if we just abandoned ourselves to God? We looked at what He reveals We waited on his instructions. We followed those to the T. And then we just endured. Just gladly endured. Just saying, it's no surprise to God that I am where I am in the circumstances that I face. So I'm going to stay here and be faithful until I'm taken out of it. Or the Lord calls me home. Hebrews 10.36. The writer told those Jewish Christians, you have need of endurance. And that, that could be said of every single person in this room. You have need of endurance, whether you realize it or not. So that, if you have endurance, when you have done the will of God... That's what people with endurance do. They do the will of God. And when you've done that, here's the good news, you will receive what is promised. There's an inheritance. There's a reward waiting for you in that unseen world called heaven. Endurance will claim that reward for you. Now, given the repetition of the phrase, by faith, it seems obvious That faith rooted in the reality of God is the key to withstanding the enemy's attack. 
There's no doubt this is a spiritual conflict taking place here. Biblical endurance is the fruit of radical dependence upon the person and power of God. That's where our faith becomes very real. Lastly, I'll finish up with this. Faith arrives. Faith arrives. Um, Let me take you back through these statements to put it all together. Hebrews 11.1, remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Those who possess faith have a destination in mind. They see it. So what might that destination be? Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.9. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That's what he's going for. He wants to please God, trusting in his promises about the future. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I sure want to know what it is and how I live it out. Hebrews 11.2 says, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. There's the word. Commendation, approval, reward. See, all of these people... They didn't get to see heaven in this life. They didn't get to see all of God's promises made to God's people fulfilled in their lifetime. But they were commended because they stayed faithful to what God had shown them for their time. And they just assumed because of who God is and and because of what he has said, there will be a day when all things will be made right and new. All of them, without exception, received commendation, approval, and reward. And I would think, as Christ followers, that's probably what we want too, isn't it? Like, whenever you hear those words, well done, good, and faithful servant, don't you want that? I do. Here's what Paul said at the end of his life, 2 Corinthians 4. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, commendation, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, for all who have lived by faith. That's you. The message of Hebrews 11 is faith will enable you and I to stay the course, regardless of what this life may bring. So with all of that in mind... um, Let's think about this for a so what. We're in this season called Deep Roots. We're asking this question, how can I make room in my life for the mission of God? And there are a variety of ways where we can respond to that. I think I want to focus on one question out of the giving guide that we gave you last week. And it, it relates to money, but it relates to everything. And we talked about it just a little bit ago. Have you already decided to say yes to God?
whatever he might lead you to do. Like, is your yes on the table? If it's not, it has something to do with this subject we've looked at today. And as you and I grow in our faith, as it expands, we're going to be all the more ready to say yes to him because we trust him. And we know that it might be hard, it might stretch us, but we'll just go, you know what, God, I want your direction over my own. So give that some thought. Jeff is going to close us out for the morning, but... um, Give just a moment to prayerfully uh, consider your yes before God.